Thank you, Miss Judy. That was a beautiful song. If you will, get your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Luke chapter 5. and We'll get there in a moment, but let me tell you about something. Next week, we've got a very special service. Of course, you've probably noticed that, Brother, uh, what's, your, what's your name now? I can't remember your name. <laughs> we've got a special guest here this day, and next Sunday, he'll be preaching for us. And so y'all come on back and join that. Just He's always good to have uh, Miss Eric. It's always good to have Miss Eric in this class, in the service, but it just... Dennis, we love you too, so just... Hey, he gives me a hard time too. As sweet as I am, some people just give me a hard time. So, If you will, look at Luke chapter 5, verse 27 through 31. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word this morning. Now, we're picking up in the middle of a story, so you'll figure out what's going on here in just a moment. But Verse 27, And after these things he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. So he left all, rose up, and followed him. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house, and there were a great number of tax, there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this passage and what it means to us today. Lord, we thank you for the service we've had already this morning, the singing, and just, Lord, just uh, your spirit is here with us this morning. And, Lord, we just ask that you would just indwell each one of us today. Lord, let us see what this passage is saying to each one of us. Go with us this morning. Just be with us as we continue your service. And just bless every facet of it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'm going to take my glasses off this morning. It's one of those days where I can't see with them or without them either one, so it doesn't matter. But if someone were to ask you, what's the best, greatest club you could join in the world, what would it be? I mean, you know, we've got all kinds of clubs, uh, you know, different things and so forth. But let me tell you about a ex- very exclusive club. In fact, it's the most exclusive club in the world. There is only one qualification that you need to get in this club. Amazingly, it's not money. In fact, Carlos Slim Halu is the richest person we're told in the world. His net worth is over $70.6 billion. Bill Gates is the richest person in America. His net worth is over $60 billion. Uh, his, uh, Halu's was $70.6 billion. Uh, Bill Gates is over $60.4 billion. But neither one of these men could get into this club. So it's not wealth. It's not fame. Up until just recently, the two most famous people, recognizable people in the world, was Muhammad Ali and Tiger Woods. Of course, you know that Muhammad Ali died not very long ago, but if he was in the height of his popularity, he could not get in this club. It's not popularity because according to Twitter, among the most popular people on the planet Earth are Justin Timberlake, Taylor Swift, and Katy Perry. None of them would qualify for this club. The most exclusive club in the world, in fact, let me add another, it's not even influence. 
surveys show that the three most popular or influential people of the of the 21st century were Steve Jobs, Oprah Winfrey, and Mark Zuckerberg, the founder of Facebook. Not a one of them would qualify for this club. The most exclusive club in the world has five members. Is all it has. What in the world is this club? There is only one qualification to get in this club. In fact, they call it the President's Club. It's for presidents past that are still living, but are no longer presidents. There's only five of them. I'm going to try to call them off if I can recall. George H.W. Bush, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, Barack Obama, and, of course, we got a fifth one, but he doesn't qualify yet because he's not a past president. So that's the five that's in this club. Jimmy Carter, that's a, I knew I was leaving that one. I just testing you. I'll make sure you all recognize it. <laughs> there is another club that we're going to talk about today that's, I think, even more fascinating than that club, more exciting, and far more important. And it's the most inclusive club in the world. The club is made up of followers of Jesus. I would rather be in that club than that president's club any day of the week. I hope those five presidents know Jesus, but I don't know if they do or not. I think some of them do, but anyway, that's, that's not today. But This club is made up of followers of Jesus. The only thing you must have to be a candidate of this club is you must be a missing person. What do you mean a missing person? Well, let me give you a definition. A missing person is anyone who is far from God that can be invited to come near to God. In other words, anybody out these doors, or most of them out these doors, that do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, or for that matter, anybody in this room, just because you're sitting here does not mean you're a follower of Jesus Christ. But you can be here today, and you can see, you can join this club today if you desire to. There is an amber alert, we call it, on anyone who is far from God. Jesus said, even said the reason why he left heaven and came to earth was to find and rescue missing persons. He said in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. That is why Jesus came to this earth. That's why he was destined to die on the cross. That's why he did what he did for you and I. Because we were all at one time or another, and perhaps today, a missing person from God. And that's what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about a missing person. Jesus has already found his first missing persons. They were four fishermen. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. He invited them to come follow him, and they did. I mean, think about that. He invited these professional fishermen. That's what they did for a living. And he says, come follow me. And immediately they left their nets, they left their boats, and left their support system, if you will, and followed this man named Jesus. That tells us something about him right there. He also told them that he wanted them to come to quit fishing for fish and start fishing for you and I, people like us. 
for people. There's a question. What kind of missing persons are we to look for? What kind of fish are we to fish, go after fishing for? Now, if you put me on the lake and gave me a rod and reel, I wouldn't have a clue what to do with it. I'm telling you. I might could throw it out. Probably not. Probably throw the whole thing in the water. But I wouldn't know a bass from a catfish, to be honest with you. I think I could recognize a catfish, but I'm not sure of it. I am not a fisherman. But God calls every single one of us to be a fisherman. But he doesn't say go fish for those fish down at the lake. He says outside of our doors are plenty of fish. That's the ones we need to be searching and catching, trying to catch up with. What kind of fish are we going after? What the disciples were were about to learn shocked their system to the core. Here's a key takeaway. Everybody is to be invited to follow Jesus, and anybody can follow him. That means every person that walks by this building on Sunday morning while we're having service, and every week there's some of them, those are the people that we're to be fishing for. Those are the people we're trying to reach out to. Next week we'll begin begin Bible school, vacation Bible school. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but this is still a fact. It was in our, one of our Southern magazines just recently. And it says the greatest opportunity to win people to Christ is still vacation Bible school, the time, churches that have it. And by the way, a lot of churches have stopped having it. I don't quite understand that, but they have. Now, I don't know if we'll have 500 kids or 50 kids, but the point is we're to reach out and try to win those boys and girls that week. Yes, it's a hard week. Yes, it's a tiring week. It's an exhausting week. But, oh, the dividends that it can pay. Oh, the dividends that come in with it. These can be boys and girls that grow up in this church and know Christ and begin to be, one of these days, the leaders of our church, our Sunday school teachers and all the different positions of the church. That may be who God's got for us next week. We need your help. There's places Oh, but I just can't do it all week. Then do it two days. Give what you can, whatever it means. Everybody is to be invited to follow Jesus, and anybody can follow Jesus. You know, I've seen, I've had people before that would have a young, let's just say a young boy, join our church and wanted to be baptized. And, and he'd, uh, you know, somebody would make the comment, well, they don't know what they're doing. They're too young. Let me tell you something. I've seen some small boys and girls that knew more about God than some adults do. I'm serious. Don't underestimate them. Sure, they're young. Sure, they don't comprehend all the the deeps of the Bible. But some of them know more about Jesus than you and I do. Some of them are that well-versed. And besides that, even if they don't, that's our job to teach them, to bring them up. Teenagers. We need to have teenagers. We need to reach out to teenagers and have them in our church to, as they begin to grow. They are the next leaders. They're the next ones to take our places in this. Jesus has told his new friends what they are to do, and now he's going to show them how to do it in this passage. The same way he did, the same way he did it is the same way we are supposed to do it. It has not changed in over 2,000 years. Jesus is setting the example right here in this passage that we just read. 
And he says, this is the way I want you to do it. It's amazing when you think about it. I, I know I've told you before that I read the passages, and wow, I never got that out of that before. There is something in this passage right here that I know I've even preached on before. But I missed one very important little point. I'll show you when we get there. First of all, we're to ask everyone to follow Jesus. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he did. Now, keep, that's very important. Keep that little passage in your mind out there. That's for, uh, five, Luke 5, 27. The disciples thought they were just out taking a nice little stroll on a beautiful day. I mean, they were just having a good time talking to Jesus. I mean, how can it be better? They thought they were just doing something. But Jesus had another plan for them. He was going to teach them something that would last forever. And by the way, it would change their lives too. The same way it's supposed to change our lives. They had passed by this tax collector booth many times. But unlike Jesus, mostly they had turned their heads and refused to look at him. Keep in mind, and we'll get there a little bit farther, but tax collectors were one of the most hated people in the world. I mean, they were abusive. We think the tax man nowadays is pretty rough. Back then, the tax man could do anything he wanted. He could take anything of yours that he wanted to take, and you couldn't do a thing about it. He could tax you that much. We'll see that in a moment. They had passed by this tax booth many times, but unlike Jesus, they mostly likely had turned their heads away. But watch what Jesus does. Jesus, we're told that Jesus saw Levi. Now, we use that word saw. Well, I saw you last week, or I saw you this morning, or whatever it may be. But this word saw, this day and age, what it meant was he looked at him intently. He looked right into his eyes. He got to his soul, in other words. Now, Levi's a tax collector. He is hated by everybody in the city. But Jesus looked at him differently. We don't know what he said to him. But the word Saul means that he, it means to stare and to look at, to focus on deliberately. In other words, Jesus stopped and he began to look at this tax collector up and down. Have you ever felt someone looking at you and just thought, somebody's staring at me, and turned around and sure enough they were? I mean... We've all been in that situation before. That's what happened to Levi here. You know what's even more uncomfortable? You look around and realize someone is looking at you. You have those eyes, you feel them on you, and you, you, and you look around, and sure enough, somebody's just staring you down. That's exactly what Jesus was doing to Levi. He was getting to him, in other words. By this time, the fame of Jesus was spreading wildly, rapidly, and there's no question that Levi knew who Jesus was. I don't know if he'd heard him preach, but he definitely heard about him because it was a, toward the end, and he, was, he had heard about him. Everybody had. Then Jesus opened his mouth and says the last thing Levi thought he would ever hear from him. He simply said, follow me. He was asking Levi to become a disciple. In the first century Palestine, the word disciple didn't mean quite what it does today. Today we think about a disciple being a pupil in school and having a teacher and the teachers teach them and so forth. And that's, you know, how we look at it. But we think of that as a, as a teacher teaching the pupils, if you will. But 
in this day and age, the disciple was someone who didn't just learn a skill. He learned a way of life. When he began to follow Jesus, they began to learn a way of life. Now, let me ask you, are you a disciple or just a student? A disciple learns the way of life of the master. But there's even more to it than that. That's why Jesus didn't say, hey, learn from me. Let me teach you this. He said, follow me. In other words, Jesus was saying, I don't want you to just change the way you think. I want you to change the way you live. And that's the same thing that Jesus asked every one of us. If you're a child of God, if you're a Christian, if you're a disciple, your life should change to follow Jesus. Jesus was considered a rabbi. And rabbis did not ask students to become their disciples. Students asked rabbis if they could become their disciples. In order to follow a particular rabbi, you had to apply for him to teach you. You had to meet certain standards before you would could have a good transcript. There had to be a certain GPA, if you would call it today. So you had to have certain things that qualified you to be a student of this rabbi. And in fact, you had to have a certain GPA, like we'd call it today. You had to have a good transcript, in other words. You were expected to have an impressive knowledge of the first five books of the Bible. In fact, sometimes you might be asked to repeat by, by saying it out loud, by memory, an entire book of the first chapter, five books of the Bible. How many can do that? Me neither. <laughs> but that's what they were expected to do. Any rabbi would expect that from his students. But... The selection was intense. It was meticulous and painstaking. Rabbis wouldn't let just anybody join them. They were very particular. Instead of someone asking Jesus if he could follow, they could follow him, Jesus instead invited people to follow him. Wait a minute. You're doing it backwards, Jesus. You're not doing it the way we've always done it. You see why the rabbis began to hate Jesus so bad? Why the religious leaders hated him? Because he didn't do things normally. He did things the way he wanted to do it. And by the way, it turned out to be the right way every time too. Jesus instead invited people to follow him. No application, just an invitation. That would be like somebody walking in this room right now and say, Hey, would you follow me? I'm going to start a new church. And we got 20 people go. That's how that would be. It didn't happen that way. Because the teachers didn't invite students. The students had to fill out the paperwork and all the outline and all the applications to be a student of him. But Jesus says, no, that's not the way we're going to do it. Though the disciples didn't get it then, they would get it later. What Jesus was doing with Levi was exactly what he wanted them to do with others. He was doing exactly what he expects his disciples, uh, you and me, to do. Calvin Coolidge once said, the business of America is business. I want to change that a little bit. The business of the church and the business of every follower of Christ is reaching missing persons, period. 
There is no business more important. It doesn't matter how good our choir is. It doesn't matter how good our music is, how good our Sunday school. The business of this church is to reach missing persons for Christ. That's what we ought to be focused on more than anything else. Finding ways to reach boys and girls, men and women, teenagers, whatever it may be. We've got to find ways to reach them. They're not going to just stop in our doors automatically. That's exactly what Jesus told us to do. To reach missing persons. Our job as we go about daily living is to be looking for missing persons and inviting them to follow Jesus. Why? Because everybody is invited to follow Jesus and anybody can follow Jesus. If that was not enough to shock those four fishermen, the next lesson will blow them completely up. The second thing we see, we are to accept anyone willing to follow Jesus. Did you hear that? Oh, but we're a Baptist church. We are to accept anyone willing to follow Jesus. He didn't say, what's your background? He didn't say, where have you been? He says, we're willing to accept anyone who wants to follow Jesus. The first command that Jesus ever gave to anyone was the simplest man he, that command he ever gave, which came in two words, follow me. That's all he said. We have already seen how unusual his method was and how he invited people, but what was even more shocking was whom he invited. Look at verse 27 of that passage we read. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. It was radical enough that Jesus chose his disciples rather than having his disciples choose him. When you look at the list of the people he chose, let's just say none of them would have made the world's who's who's list. They weren't special people. They were fishermen. That's all they were. They weren't educated men in the sense. They weren't, didn't have a lot of wealth. They were just common, everyday fishermen. But Jesus called them to follow me. The same as he does you and I. When you look at this list, it doesn't impress anybody. There wasn't a biblical scholar among them. Not one strong leader. Not a mover or a shaker. Not one of the twelve that he chose would have made anybody's, I've got to have that person's list of some corporation. So far, just a bunch of poor fishermen. Of all the missing persons Jesus could invite, you would have bet your house on everything. There was one kind of missing person Jesus would have never invited. He would not invite a tax collector, surely. You've got to understand a tax collector was hated by the people. He was literally doing strong-arm robbery from everybody. He had the right to set your taxes wherever he wanted to. If you were a farmer and you grew grain, he had the right to take 10% of whatever you grew, all of it you grew, right off the top. That was his prerogative. He could do that, and they did it. That's how tax collectors got so rich. But watch what he does. He could take your house. He could take everything you own. There's one kind of missing person Jesus would never invite. That had to be a tax collector. 
It'd have to be that kind of person. I mean, look how unscrupulous he is. But that's exactly who Jesus called. He saw something in Levi that we never saw before. Those people had seen him as a filthy, stinking tax collector. He robbed them blind as best he could and took everything they had. And by the way, if they didn't pay the taxes, he gave them a certain amount of time to pay it. Then he could take their land, their homes, whatever they had. I mean, he could do practically anything he wanted because he was the tax collector. The Romans collected their taxes through a system called tax farming. They had divided all of Palestine up into districts. Every district had a fixed tax figure they had to pay. Then they sold the right to, the, to collect these taxes to the highest bidder. There were two categories of taxes that people had to pay. There was the direct tax, otherwise known as fixed taxes, which included the poll tax, which everyone had to pay simply because they were alive. There was also the ground tax, which required one-tenth of all the grain, all the wine, all the oil, or whatever produce, produce was produced. There was the income tax, which was per 1% of all earnings. They had you coming or going. They got it every way they could get it. No wonder tax collectors were hated so much. And Jesus just called a tax collector to follow him. Hey, follow me. I mean, see how strange that sounds? Where tax collectors made their money was in that indirect tax. Let me read you what it says. There were the duties and tolls that allowed the tax collectors to commit highway robbery. The tax collector had the unlimited authority to tax anything he wanted to as tax-paying people for using a road even. Sounds like a modern-day tax, doesn't it? <laughs> Didn't mean to go there. Taxing imports, taxing exports, food, fruit, wine. There was even a cart tax in which every wheel of the cart had to be taxed. You think our taxes are bad. He could even open private letters to see if business was being conducted and if he was to pay taxes on it. The problem was he could charge whatever he wanted to over and above what the government required. Remember, whatever he charged over, it was his pocket. So don't you think he'd do that? Almost sounds like some politicians in Washington, D.C., doesn't it? <clears throat> he could pocket the profit, and there was nothing you could do about it. If you couldn't afford to pay the tax, the tax collector would loan you the money at an exorbitant rate, interest rate. And if you couldn't pay that before long, he would require you to sell that land and pay your taxes. That's how unscrupulous it was. It was the first case in history of taxation without representation. It reminds me of the story I heard a little boy about a little boy that wanted $10. He prayed for two weeks and nothing happened. He then decided to write God a letter requesting the $10. When the postal authorities got that letter and received it and it said, God, USA, they decided to send the little boy a letter. and They sent it to President then Bill Clinton. Clinton was so impressed with it, he was touched and amazed and amused by it. And he instructed his secretary to send the little boy a $5 bill. The little boy was delighted to get the $5. He sat down and wrote a thank you note. He wrote it to God. He says, this is what he wrote. Dear God, 
thank you very much for sending me the money. However, I noticed that for some reason you had to send it to Washington, D.C. And as usual, they deducted half of it. <laughs> it won't surprise you that tax collectors were the most despised, hated class of people in all of Israel. I mean, they were hated by people. They had to do things and get together. In fact, if you read further in the story, you'll find that they had a celebration in his house. He invited, only people liked him was other tax collectors. So he invited his tax collector friends. And Jesus had a field day. <laughs> they were considered traitors to the people. Their favorite name for them was bloodsuckers. In short, Levi was a missing person that nobody missed. Tax collectors were so despised that they were barred from the synagogues. They couldn't even go to church. They were so hated. In other words, they were excommunicated. They couldn't be witnesses in any court of law because their word wasn't trustworthy. They were on the same level as robbers, murderers, pimps, and prostitutes. They were never invited to the neighborhood cookouts and conveniently left off the high school reunion list. Most probably, even his own parents had disowned him, Levi. He was the black sheep of the family because of the occupation that he'd go. Now, he was making money. I mean, he was on his way to be a wealthy man. We know that because Levi, Levi's parents took his name from the third son of Jacob, who had fathered the Israelite tribe of Levi. Levi was the priestly tribe. From the time he was born, his parents expected him to serve the Lord as a priest. That was just the common expectation then. They intended for him to go to Bible college and seminary, and it's likely that his father, his grandfather, great-grandfather were all priests in some position, and he was to follow in their line. That's what his name represented, that he's going to be a follower, be a preacher, be a, a spiritual leader, if you would, one day. For any Jew to abandon his heritage to become a Roman tax collector was one thing. But for a member of the tribe of Levi to do that, it was beyond comprehension. How could somebody that's born into the tribe of Levi, the tribe of priests, how could he possibly abandon his life? Because greed got a hold of him. While everyone else would curse him and spit at him and threaten him, Jesus said the very same thing that he said to Andrew, Peter, James, and John. All he said was, follow me. Now, what is it about those words that made such a difference? And Levi, this tax collector, you think he might have been so lonely in the life he had? Sure, he made a lot of money. But look at the guilt he must have felt eventually. And here comes this man with no criticism of him, nothing else. He just looks him in the eye and says, follow me. But watch this. This is where it gets really good. Simon the Zealot. Jesus' choice of followers gets even more amazing. In the list of these 12 disciples, we find in the next chapter, Luke chapter 6, verse 15. But we're not going to read it right now. Oh, let me add that. And Simon, who was called the Zealot. Simon the Zealot was on the other end of the spectrum from Levi. I mean, here's two guys as the opposite you can get. He was a freedom fighter. In fact, we might even call him today a terrorist, but on the good side. If you wanted to hire somebody to murder Levi, this would be the person you'd hire. So, I mean, 
That's the way it worked out. Simon would have been your the man for the job. In his band of brothers, you've got a tax collector on one hand and a traitor on the other hand. Not that only does Jesus ask the least likely and the least lovely to be his followers, he has a way of bringing them together. Isn't that amazing? Jesus brought those two from the opposite ends and brought them together. And before long, they would be brothers in Christ serving. I'd never caught that before. I'd missed that part. I mean, here they were, totally opposites. Sort of like some of us here in this room were. Some of us were far from God. Others of us were closer. But he brought us together as a family of God and said, here's where I want you to serve. Here's where I want you to serve. Here's what I want you to do in this church. Here's how you can help this church. And he brought us from all different backgrounds. If we were to have a time out right now and just go around the room and says, what's your background? Can you imagine what we'd find out in here? I know this. Some of it I wouldn't want you to find out about me. But that's exactly what Jesus did with these two. He brought them together as not as enemies, but as brothers in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ. And Simon, who was called the zealot, Simon the Zealot was on the other end of the spectrum from Levi. Not only does Jesus ask the least likely, but he also brings us together in a loving relationship. That's what he does to members of a church. He brings us together. Probably every person in this room grew up differently. Every one of us have backgrounds that are different. But yet God brings us together as a church family to love each other to care about each other, to learn from each other, to watch each other, to help each other, all the facts of it that goes in. And that's how God brings us together. Can't you just hear this conversation? Simon, you're a zealot, a freedom fighter, a terrorist. You despise Roman collaborators like tax collectors. Jesus says, will you follow me? Yes, Lord. Levi, you're a collaborator, a tax collector, a traitor. Will you follow me? Yes, Lord. Great. Simon Peter, you and Levi room together. Can't you imagine that conversation? I, 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 the Bible doesn't say that, so I'm just throwing that in. How could such a thing happen? Because everybody is invited to follow Jesus, and anyone can. Therefore, the last lesson. We are to associate with those who don't follow Jesus. I remember being told in my younger days as a Christian, I'm supposed to separate myself from sinner people. Do you know that's exactly the opposite of what Jesus says? He tells to associate with them. This is the best part of the story. Who does he invite? Wait a minute, let's back up a minute. Let me read verse 29 to you. What happens next is even more incredible to me than Levi and the tax collector. Levi the tax collector leaving a well-paying job that would set him for life. Realize, he was on his way wealthy. I mean, this guy had money rolling in. You know what he did when Jesus said, follow me? He walked away from it. Now, if you were at a well-paying job and Jesus asked you to walk away from it, would you do it? Don't answer that out loud. Don't want to hear it. <laughs> would you do it? Could you do it? 
That's exactly what Jesus asked Levi. We're to associate with those who don't follow Jesus. This is even more impressive to me. Look at verse 29. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. Who does he invite? He invites all the other tax collectors. That's his friends, the only friends he's got. Why did he do that? These are his buddies. You know who's missing persons hang out with? Lost people, that we call them. I like to call them missing persons. They just hadn't been found by Jesus yet. We haven't introduced them to Jesus yet. But they're still lost people, what we call lost people. They don't know Jesus. They hang out with other lost people. You go down to the local bar tonight, and hopefully you won't find too many Christian people there. Now, that's, I can't say for sure, but just, just you know, the, hopefully that's the case, at least from Roberts Avenue Baptist Church. Let me clarify that. But this is exactly who they were partying with. There's a big party going on with the most despised, low-life people in all of Israel, and Jesus right in the middle of it, right in the middle of all these sinners. Some of them observed that people were nothing like Jesus. Like Jesus. Did you get that? These people observed they were nothing like Jesus. Like Jesus. See, when we start separating ourselves from people that are just a little bit lower than us, we better be careful. When we start criticizing somebody for the life they lived and Jesus has come into their life, You better be real careful. Yes, we all have backgrounds. And I'm telling you, I wouldn't want you to know all of mine. I don't think I'd want to know yours either for that matter. But what I'm saying is, we look at people sometimes, and we look down our noses at them, even if we don't mean to. Oh, I'm glad I'm not like that person anymore. Better be careful. They can come back and bite you real easy. Let me tell you why it's so important to associate with missing persons and lovingly, gently, and naturally introduce them to Jesus. When people who are far from God truly meet the Son of God, they want to draw near to God every time. You know who dislikes this kind of talk the most? Religious people. Let me show you what happened. Look at verse 30. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Who are the Pharisees and the scribes? The exact opposite of the tax collector and sinners. Jesus talked about religious churchgoers, pew sitters. They dotted every religion. I is who they look at. Look how much better I am than that person over there. I know how they live. Look how much better I am than them. And that's exactly who Jesus is talking about. And by the way, I've never been in a church that there weren't some Pharisees inside the church. Every church I've ever been to, visited, preached at, anything else, has some Pharisees. Because we judge people not by what they are, but what they look like, what they have, what they drive, how much they put in. 
I believe with all my heart that God can take a dollar bill and bless it more from a person that gives it with a great heart than he can a $100 bill from somebody that gives it arrogantly. I believe that with every ounce of my being. God doesn't need our money, folks. We need God's blessings from the money. It's not the money you give that makes things go. It's the God we serve that makes this church go. Let's close it up real quick. Jesus answered them when they said that. He said, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick need one. These religious fanatics were farther from God than people that they thought were the farthest from God. They looked through their noses at people like you and I and said, look how far those people are from God. I'm so glad that I'm so much above them. I'm more godly than they are. Did you know there's people today in our churches that still have that attitude? Seriously. They still have the attitude that they're so much better than other people. I won't share the story now, but shortly before we came here, we were really had been called to a church. Well, we hadn't gone to fit. We were going in view of a call. And something was brought to my attention, and I called this guy they'd been talking to about three months. And what it was, and I don't know how else to say it, but just be blunt, this church, I was told, would not allow black people to be in church. As God is my witness. This is not in 2014, 15. When we come here, 2015? <laughs> Whatever it was, anyway. And I called the guy I'd been talking to for three or four months. And like I said, they had invited We were going in view of a call just within a week or two, I believe it was. And I called the guy I'd been talking to, and I says, I need to ask you a question. He said, sure, ask me anything. He said, man, we're excited about y'all coming, all this kind of stuff. And I said, well, I was told that y'all don't accept black people in the church. And there was a long silence. And finally he says, well, that is true, but we're trying to change that. And I said, yeah, you want me to come there and be the scapegoat? Uh-uh. I said, take me off the list. I can't do that. And as God is my witness, just within days after that, me and Dave had been talking, the committee had been talking from here, and I really thought we was going there. In fact, I believe I told Dave, it looks like we're going to this church over there. And I was talking to Dave, and the next day, Dave called and says, are you serious about talking to us? And I said, absolutely. And God just, from there, just rolled it. In two weeks' time, you are stuck with me. So it just, <laughs> but anyway, it, uh, I mean, that, that really, it happens today, folks. Self-righteous people that judge other people because you're a different color, a different nationality. God is not pleased with that. By the way, one more note on that. I remember the first Sunday I ever walked in this church. I walked in and I saw, I think, every nationality the world's got was sitting here. I thought, amen, God, this is what we need. And But he didn't tell me about some of y'all, but that's, that's another story. I, I learned that later. But anyway, it... Uh, the first group becomes followers. The second group becomes failures. There's only one qualification to become a follower of Jesus. You have to be a sinner. You have to be a sinner. Now, I know some of you aren't, so that just we're leaving the ad. But Jesus comes to save those that are lost. The bottom line is this. Who's invited to follow Jesus? Everyone. Oh, but you don't realize that I've got a sexual past. You're invited. I've got a jail record. You're invited. I've been divorced. You're invited. 
I'm a hypocrite. You're invited. Everyone is invited to follow Jesus. It doesn't matter what your past is. And we are not to judge anybody for their past unless you've got a perfect past. And, folks, I know most of you, and I know you don't, so don't go there. (laughs) We've all got a checkered past in some degree or the other. You need to understand one thing. Jesus expects, expects the same response, which is, look at verse 28 of Luke chapter 5. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Now, here was a rich man. I mean, this Levi was making money hands over fist. And just, I mean, he was just coming in. And Jesus said, follow me. And he turned his back on that wealth. The fame it brought him, the blessings it brought him, all the good things it brought, and he left it. You see what a follower of Christ really is? You're willing to give up anything to further the cause of Christ. Is that you and me? I'd like to tell you every day of the week it's me, but I can't tell you that. Because sometimes that pride gets before me. You read it right. Levi lost everything when he followed Jesus. Before you get second thoughts, remember this. Following Jesus will cost you everything. But refusing to follow Jesus will cost you more. If Levi had said no to Jesus, he most likely would have died a very rich man. But you would have never heard of him, and neither would I. Because he chose to follow Jesus Jesus changed his name to Matthew, which literally means a gift from God. He went on to write a book in the Bible, and people today name their sons Matthew quite often. The best world has to offer you is trash compared to what you can have in Jesus. No matter what you give up, it can't be as costly as what it will cost you if you don't. I'm so glad that everybody is invited to follow Jesus. And anybody can. It doesn't matter what your past is. Are you a follower of Jesus? You can be this morning. But make it real in your life. Let's stand together this morning. I don't know where you're at in your walk with Christ. I don't know how much faith you have, where you've been for Him. But I know this. No matter what your past, God says He'll wipe the slate clean. We remember it, but God doesn't. Are you there today? If you don't know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, I invite you at this time, in just a moment, as we begin to sing this song, you can come kneel at these steps. Our ushers will be here. I'll talk to you. Anything you need, we'll help you clarify it. But don't leave this building without Jesus. There's no surety that we have tomorrow, any one of us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this day you've given us. And, Lord, our hearts are heavy for the work that we need to do to reach out in this community and to reach next week as we begin Bible school and to spend time with those boys and girls as they come to learn about you and to, to exemplify you in our, our lives. But, Lord, outside of our doors are men and women by the hundreds that are walking toward hell every step of the way. 
because somebody won't tell them. Lord, open our eyes to what you said in this passage. Let us be burdened to be like this. Lord, that we should share, maybe just in a Walmart line or just me, passing somebody on the street or just sharing somebody that they can know that we're Christians. And, Lord, we're real Christians. Go with us these final moments as we sing this song. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.